All right, Todd, thank you so much for taking the time. Much appreciated. How you doing today? Doing great, man. We got a beautiful day. We were outside all weekend. Looks like we're going to be able to be outside all week. So, yeah, I feel very fortunate. Happy to hear it. Thank you so much for taking the time again, as I said. So I'll give a brief overview of your career, and then we'll dive into some questions. So just for everyone listening, this is Todd Interdonado, the head coach at Boston College. He started playing college baseball at South Mountain Community College in Arizona. Then you transferred to UNC Asheville, played in the Frontier League after playing in college, and then you went to coach back at Wofford for two years. You were the assistant coach. Then you became the head coach for the last 16 seasons, had 455 wins, the most in program history, actually. And now you're the head coach at Boston College. So start off with, I guess your playing career. Let's start off there just for a question or two. What was your experience like playing at a junior college, South Mountain Community College, and then obviously before jumping over to UNC Asheville? So my playing career was very underwhelming. Uh, The reason I played at South Mountain was because I got cut from Scottsdale Community College. So then I had to transfer to South Mountain, uh, ended up making the team there, and then put together a decent junior college college career specifically my sophomore year uh put together a decent year and then had some options uh at a junior college never really thought about going to the east coast was born and raised in phoenix never really even considered leaving there and then that turned out to be the best option and got me started in the southeast and played two years there and then a short stint in independent ball before i got dumped out of that um and then started my coaching career basically yeah, I got dumped in the summer of, I guess that was the summer of 01. I got dumped out of Evansville in the summer of 01. And I think I was home for maybe about a week when I started coaching at the high school I went to in Scottsdale at Chaparral. So that started my coaching career. There you go. And then look at obviously the career you've had. A lot of success obviously <laughs> at Wofford and now at, at being at BC, obviously uh, two great schools. So congratulations, obviously, yep. on high to BC. Um, but when you look back at your playing career, you played at UNC Asheville, which it's interesting. I just had a guy on my podcast last week. His name is Brian Davison, was there early 2000s at Asheville when they made the NCAA tournament, uh, March Madness. But he uh, played at UNC Asheville, and obviously you did there as well. So it's crazy having two guys in a row uh, be UNC Asheville uh, players, which is uh, pretty wild. But uh, Yeah, especially for a school that small, right? You wouldn't think that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One in a million. Imagine two guys, obviously, back-to-back episodes being from the same school, especially UNC Asheville, obviously, you know, like you said, a smaller school. Uh, But obviously great, though, Division I, so you got to play – Juco, then went to D1. You did play both ways as well. I was reading you played some corner infield, a little outfield and pitching as well. Yeah, when you're not very good, they just try to find a spot for you to move you all over the place. Maybe something would stick. Um, yeah, I was basically an infielder growing up, pitched pitched as well. And then, you know, like I said, my sophomore year in junior college started to have a little bit, little bit of success, played first base and pitched at junior college. And then Went to Asheville, was pretty much doing the same thing, playing first base and pitching, and then really didn't play outfield. Uh, I mean, it was, I think it was our last weekend at home before the conference tournament. Our starting left fielder ended up going to drag bunt and dragging and off his bat into his eye, knocked him out. So I got a crash course in left field. Uh, on the way to the conference tournament and all through the conference tournament, I played left field. So that was, that was my outfield experience was about a week long, two days of crash course of practice. And then I think we ended up playing four or five games in the tournament that year. We actually made a pretty good run. Um, So I ended up playing, yeah, maybe four or five games in the outfield there as well. 
That's awesome. So you're a utility guy, I guess. I mean, <laughs> not like the modern day that's like really talented. It was the old school utility where you couldn't find a place. So they just moved you around to keep you entertained. Hey, as long as you're in the lineup, right? I mean, at the end that's of the right. Season, that's right. We're playing. Uh, so now we get transition uh, to your coaching career. So before stepping foot on Warford's campus in 2006, they were really struggling for a few years. But every year after you took over as the head coach, I believe it was like 2007 or 2008, they started to really progress, and over the last 10 years especially, they seem to get better each and every year, especially in conference play, overall record as well over the last like eight years just about. What was the difference maker in turning things around as a program? Well, I think the most important lesson I learned in those first few years at Wofford that I am trying to take with me here at BC is you just have to have the patience to make long-term decisions. It's so easy to make a short-term decision in terms of let's try to cut a corner. Let's try to cheat the system. Let's try to come up with a cheat code. And those first few years at Wofford, you know, thankfully we did the right thing by making long-term decisions. Going to try to recruit the right players, try to recruit to a system, build it the right way, build it organically, build a foundation, and then eventually, you know, build on top of it. And I would tell you the most important year, if you go back and look at the trajectory of that career in 2012 and 2013, uh, those years were almost identical. But in 2012, that was the class that we first recruited. When I first got the job as our head coach, our coach staff put together, that was the first class. And I remember at the end of that 2012 season, those seniors coming in thinking, man, we could have done more. We could have made more progress. And I remember looking at the end of that 2012 season, I looked at the run differential, both overall and then in conference. And the run differential was crazy. It was, you know, going the 2008 season, the run differential or 2009 season when those guys were fresh and the run differential overall was like minus 141. And in mm -hmm. league, it was like minus 82, if I remember right. And then the year they graduated, the overall run differential was like minus 30 and like minus 11. So you could just see this. You couldn't really see it from the outside looking in in terms of wins and losses. And then in 2013, we almost like turned the program over and we played a really young team in 2013. And those guys actually slightly outperformed that 12 team. And in 2013, I remember we finished that year with that really young group of players still progressing after kind of that first class had graduated. And I remember in the summer of 13 thinking that, that we had turned the corner. And then thankfully I was right in 2014's year, we broke through with our first winning season. Definitely. Yeah. You guys had a great stretch, especially the last 10 years. Like you were saying, you finished at yeah. 500 in conference play each of the last eight years. And then also I saw you guys won 30 more games, eight of the last nine seasons, 40 or more in each of the last two seasons and three consecutive South Conference regular season championships. So you guys did find success that not only was just a short-term success, but sustained. It was 10 years of winning baseball, turning things around. And you really built the program by playing aggressively. I saw, I was looking at stats from last season. You guys stole 153 bases as a team last year at Wofford, fifth best in the country. How important is it being aggressive on the base paths, but also being smart, not trying to run into a dead out? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, let me back up to the comment about the sustainability Mm -hmm. it's I think the stat that I am most proud of in my time at Wofford is I think now it stretches to eight years, but we are the, we were the only team in the Southern conference 
over the last eight years to not put up an under 500 conference record at one point. We were the only one. Every other team in that conference, even even the success that they had, we were the only SoCon team in the last eight years for every single year for us to be 500 above 500 in conference play. So the sustainability is really what what we were most proud of. Mm-hmm. To the style of play that was that went back to you know going into that 13 season where we made the commitment to become a really heavy base running team. We felt like it was one of those areas that we could gain an advantage over our opponents. We felt like it was something that was maybe a little underutilized, undercoached, certainly undercoached in terms of defending it. So we made a full commitment going into that 2013 season. I think in 2012, I'd have to go back and look. I think in 2012, we sold 91 bases. And then in 2013, we stole 163. And then every single year from 2013 on, I think 2016, we were like at 102 or 103, but every other year after that was 130. Every other year than that was 130 plus. And it was just an area that we felt like we thought we could take advantage of and an area we felt like could give us an advantage to win and certainly helped out. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously the Stanley bases was a big part of the offense the last few seasons, last 10 years overall, like you said. But there's also another thing I saw. I was looking at sacrifice buns. My dad loves playing small ball. So growing up, I was always a big fan of small ball baseball. It's a strategy that gets runs across the board. It's the main thing you want to do, move runners up always without getting dead outs. But uh, I've been a big fan of the small ball strategy. And I saw that you guys last year at Wofford had 86 sacrifice bunts, 28 more than any other program in the country, number one in all college baseball. What goes into that decision playing small ball? Obviously, stealing bases is huge, but sacrifice bunts. I just think it it creates sustainability. We actually had the conversation in our locker room yesterday after we inter-squatted. And... The power is great, and this team is loaded with power. And mm-hmm. the power is great. How dangerous a team can be is great, but that's kind of hard to sustain, right? Power is hard to be sustainable. It's it's hard to rely on extra base hits. And, you know, we just always felt like we wanted to be a really good bunting team, and we felt like in those times or those games or those innings where we were having a hard time creating a rhythm with extra base hits, we felt like that was just a something we could go to that – could help sustainability and most importantly, create rhythm and just kind of take pressure off of guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously the offense benefited overall from the small ball strategy. I saw you guys hit 314 as a team last year, 13th best of college baseball. I mean, all your offensive stats were in the top of college baseball, top 10, top 15, your top 10 in on base percentage as a team as well last season. What went into the success at the plate, not only from the small ball strategy of sacrifice bunts, but from hitting? I mean, you guys had a 314 team batting average, was it being aggressive early in the count? Was it taking advantage of the count, trying to get the pitcher to be down in the count, three, one counts? What went into the team having such a good on-base percentage and batting average last season? I appreciate you saying that. You know, we we felt like over the last, you know, whatever it's been, you know, 10 years, I think specifically maybe in like the last six to eight, we felt like we had one of the best offenses in the country. Absolutely. Year in and year out. And really what it derived from was just, it's all started with plate discipline. It just all started with plate discipline in terms of, yes, the easy thing to say is to not chase. That's easy. Make sure you swing at strikes. But then over the last five to seven years, we really got it down to what strikes do we want to swing at? What count do we want to swing at these strikes? Where is our timing? What are we trying to do? What? How are people attacking us, hedging our bets, and essentially just sticking to a game plan? And really, again... You know, like you look at the stolen base numbers and yeah, we've had some guys that have put up some crazy stolen base numbers, but if you look at on base percentage, you know, you look at, you know, the top eight to 10 guys 
in the lineup, everybody's contributing, right? Mm -hmm. We stole 100, you know, I don't even know. We stole 100 and whatever many bases you stole last year. I don't even know if we had a guy steal 20, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't even know. I think our leader might have been like in the high teens or low 20s, but it wasn't like we had anybody steal 50. Yeah, right? it, was, it was like low 20s. Guys, yeah. yeah, so it wasn't like we had two guys that stole 50 apiece, and that's how we got above 100. It was full contribution up and down the lineup, and I feel like the same way about runs scored, RBIs, you know, and on base percentage, I felt like it was pretty consistent up and down, which tells, you know, at least for me, that's a testament to our system and to our coaching as opposed to, you know, certainly you have to have the talent to execute it, but it was more of an overall approach than it was, you know, two or three guys carrying the load. Definitely. So how much did analytics change your perception of let's be more aggressive over the last 10 years, obviously analytics has become a lot more apparent in baseball. It's always been a thing, but it's become a lot more, uh, you know, I guess the best word is a lot more used around, you know, whether it's MLB, college baseball. So when you look at analytics, how it's changed the game over the last 10 years, do you think that's like a big reason you guys have changed the way you approach the game, whether it's stealing bases, getting up in the count or trying to have plate discipline? Yeah, I think so. It's certainly the best thing about analytics. It, it either proves your eyes right or it proves your eyes wrong. That's yeah. the best thing about analytics. You, you you think what you see is what you believe in, you know, you're on the field and what you're seeing is you think that's right. And then you go look at the data and you look at the numbers and you're either proven right or you're proven wrong. And, mm -hmm. you know, really where you look at, you know, if you look at stolen bases from an analytical standpoint, the easiest thing to do is just look at a, you know, predicted run chart based on runners on base comparative to outs. And you start looking at it and advancing 90 feet is really powerful. And if you're able to advance 90 feet without giving up and out, it's even more. If you're able to advance 90 feet while you give up and out, it's still pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. The thing that, you know, all those run expectancy charts will tell you is you just can't stand still. You know, you just, you just can't stand still. You look at, you know, run expectancy with the runner on first and nobody out compared to run expectancy with a runner on first and two outs. And mm -hmm. it's a dramatic difference between if that guy just moved up 90 feet or even it moved a third throughout the course of the, you know, throughout the course of the inning. So that was really where the run expectancy and all the data just kind of promoted us to to continue to be active is because you just have to be advancing during the course of the inning. Absolutely. For sure. And it also puts pressure, obviously, on the other team, uh, knowing you might steal a base, you might bunt, whatever it may be. It obviously makes their defense have to shift, uh, which is a big advantage for you guys uh, when you're at the plate. But I also saw the pitching staff last year at a very good year at Walford as well. You guys are very disciplined at the plate as hitters. And then the pitchers, obviously, were very accurate as well. I saw you guys were... I think it was third best in strikeout to walk ratio in the country last year. You also led the nation in lowest amount of walks per nine innings pitched with 2.38, which is just very impressive. What do you look for in a pitcher? Is it speed? Is it control? High leverage situation success? What do you look for in a pitcher? Because obviously it's worked, especially the last few years at Wofford. You guys are very good at trying to limit walks and try to get outs without putting guys on base for free. Yeah, the easiest way to say it is, you know, we try to be hard to score on right? There's a difference between being difficult to hit and hard to score on. Mm -hmm. And difficult to hit is, yeah, you can throw high velo, you know, ton of good off speed, depth, horizontal break, vert, all of it. But really the, it comes down to us is you just got to be hard to score on. You got to mm -hmm. control the running game. You have to limit your free bases. You got to throw strikes. You got to challenge guys. And yeah, you just want to make them string it together. And, you know, we brought that philosophy here to BC in terms of, yeah, everybody would like to be difficult to hit, but let's focus on being hard to score on. And because that's really where the game changes. And punch outs are great. I think punch outs happen when you throw first pitch strikes. 
and throw two out of your first three into the zone and ahead and count three pitch war, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I just think one of those things where strikeouts are almost a byproduct of getting ahead and they just kind of happen at that point, you know, in my career, I've never really emphasized punching guys out, never really talked about it. Certainly have talked about throwing strikes, getting ahead, throwing strikes with two strikes, but never really sat in a locker room and said, Hey, our objective is to punch out a bunch of guys. Our objective is to be Oh, two, one, two, and then put guys away. But, and then again, just being able to control the running game and field your position, just feel like it makes, makes it really hard to score on. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that strategy of just looking at it as an Oh, two, one, two count. It's not all about strikeouts at the end at the end of the day. That's obviously, you know, the thing some guys do go for at times, but I think a team strategy of going just for getting outs, limiting runs, that's obviously the best strategy to go if you want to win a game. But when you look at your time at Wofford, you guys had a lot of success getting guys drafted. You had 12 guys drafted in your tenure at Wofford. What did you see in guys like Colin Davis, Ryan Galaney? When did you notice these guys and say, okay, these guys could be potential MLB draft picks? Different for all of them. Colin, I could have told you his junior year in high school was going to be a pro just talent wise. He was going to be a pro emotionally. He needed to get his, his act together yeah. uh, in order to be a pro. Ryan was definitely a, a different case. Ryan was, you know, one of those guys, he saw a lot of potential in him, but was really raw and, you know, really wasn't even an everyday player for us until his junior year. Mm-hmm. And then was the best player in the conference, both his junior year and senior year. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, JJ Edwards, who's now the head coach at Wofford, who was our hitting coach. I mean, three years in a row, we had the conference player of the year and it was a different guy every year, right? It was Colin in 21, Lawson in 22, and then Ryan in 23. Hmm. And I just, again, goes back to all those guys were extremely talented. They were talented in different ways, but just kind of a byproduct of the approach. But, you know, Adam Scott went into the hall of fame this year. He was the highest pick we had. He was a fourth rounder in 2018, again, would have, would have never seen that coming. You know, he actually, he and I were texting the other day, you know, he had an injury in high school, you know, had to get a plate in his arm for a non-baseball injury. Didn't ever think it was going to work out. And next thing you know, he's, you know, arguably one of the most successful pitchers in Wofford history. Matt Milburn, you know, went into the hall of fame a year or two ago was a 2016 draft pick. I mean, his options were to be a division three third baseman or to come and pitch at Wofford and turn into that. So but then there's other guys like John Cornley, who was the only guy to make the big leagues in my time there. And again, you could have seen that in high school. So just everybody had a different path, everybody around. Um, yeah, it was just it was just really cool because every single one of those guys who were drafted out of Wofford were mm-hmm. not only undrafted out of high school, but I would tell you not even considered being drafted yeah. out of high school. That was really the coolest part about it was it's not like any of those guys turned down the draft out of high school and then got there it was you know that wasn't even an option for those guys not even close nobody was even considered to be drafted and then you know through their time at Wofford we were able to develop into pros definitely that's a testament to obviously your coaching staff and how well you guys developed these guys over the last 10 years getting guys into the MLB getting drafted that's obviously not easy but having 12 guys that's very impressive it's not just like it was one or two guys that means you guys had scouts at just were probably about every game over the yeah. last 10 years which shows you guys were getting the respect you guys deserved and that's a testament to everything you guys are doing right. Looking at analytics, looking at numbers, telling guys where to improve. That's a big part of the game. I think when we look at baseball today, having a coach that supports you will go over your weaknesses, your strengths, your misses, your wins, whatever it may be. That's a big part of the game of baseball. And even though guys, like you said, didn't really start until their junior year, like Ryan Galaney, I think you said. <clears throat> over time, I mean, they did develop into the players that 
obviously ultimately ended up getting drafted, uh, which is great. But Ryan Galani, one guy we can talk about is him. Showed a lot of power last year, 17 home runs, conference player of the year as well. Uh, what did you see different in his game over the last couple of seasons? He he just, you know, Ryan had the unique ability to be able to hit for power to the opposite field. Mm-hmm. That was, it was just, if you really want to boil it down to one thing is, you know, Ryan was just as dangerous as a right-handed hitter. Ryan was just as dangerous to right field as he was to, to left. And mm-hmm. it took a long time for him to understand to be able to be comfortable with his talent. And I know that sounds crazy, but mm-hmm. Ryan is this ultimately gifted kid with a ton of power. And, you know, you hear guys say the ball explodes off his bat. I wouldn't say the ball explodes off of Ryan's bat. It's one of those things where you just expect it to come down at 300 feet. And just when you expect it to come down, it just continues to carry. He just had like this felt like his ball just extended and just carried better than most people. And he just had to get comfortable in his talent. And what I mean by that was, I know you're big, strong, dangerous hit for a ton of power, but you don't have to do it to the pull side. Mm -hmm. You can be dangerous and explosive to the opposite field side. And if you're able to do that, it's going to open up everything else. It's going to open up your ability to have better plate discipline. It's going to open up your ability to hit the off speed. It's going to open up your ability to walk more. It's going to open up your ability to get deeper in counts and to see more pitches and potentially see more mistakes. And it just, Ryan is, Ryan is a wonderful, wonderful young man, but he was really stubborn early in his career. And I give JJ a lot of credit because he just kept pushing and kept pushing. And then opening day, his junior year, uh, we were playing George Mason at home, which I guess that was the 22 season. Yeah. And hit two home runs on opening day, one to center field and one to right field. And it was like, that was his aha moment of, okay, I don't have to pull the ball to be dangerous. And from there, I mean, over the course of two years, I think he hit 34 home runs and, yep. you know, another, you know, probably another 30 extra base hits on top of that. And he was just, yeah, he was just really, really dangerous because he finally got comfortable in his own talent. Absolutely. And I apologize for that phone ringing just there a second ago. But when you look at his stats, okay, that's good, Dan. I apologize. I don't want to interrupt you. But uh, when you look at his stats the last couple of years, like you said, you see obviously a lot of power, but obviously hit for average as well. 383 last season, 1161 OPS, 19 stolen bases. So even though it's a guy that can hit for power, obviously can hit for average as well. You do implement the, all right, let's still be aggressive on the base path just because you're hitting home runs and you obviously have a great OPS. Let's still try to steal bases. It's not always about, obviously, the long ball, like you said. And you saw success with just about every guy in your lineup stealing bases the last few years. And one thing that stood out to me about Ryan's game is he went to the Cape Cod Baseball League, played in Katua last summer, had four home runs in 16 games. What does it mean to you when you have a player that gets the ability and the chance to go play in the Cape Cod Baseball League? Oh, it was great. You know, last year... You know, obviously had no idea this job was going to come come mm-hmm. to fruition. And, you know, we had a number of guys playing up in the Cape last year, you know, four or five to start. And then a couple other guys filled in as we went. And, you know, finally, I, I just said to my wife, I said, hey, let's let's go spend four or five days in the Cape. Let's just mm-hmm. go enjoy this. Right. Like the Cape is such a storied league, so much history. You know, it's so prestigious. It's such a unique experience for anybody to go play in that league. And you know, certainly sounding like the older generation now, but, you know, I don't even know if guys that get a chance to play there really fully appreciate it until they're not there anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Until they look back and they're like, Oh man, I had a chance to play in the Cape. Right. Like Chris Shaw's on our staff here now. And he talks about playing in the Cape as much as he talks about playing in the big leagues. 
it's Definitely. it's really cool just about his time in the Cape and what that meant to him and where he was. And it's just really neat to hear those guys talk about that, you know, with such pride. So last year we spent, you know, we went up and spent four or five days in the Cape and just bounced around to different cities and watched our guys play and getting a chance to see those guys play up there. It's, it's really cool. And I'm really looking forward to that again this year, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, you know, we got a bunch of guys committed to play there and now it's a shorter drive, right? Last year, Melissa and I had to get on a flight and, and fly into Boston and then drive down. And this year we'll just get to take the short drive down and go spend a week down there and just enjoy the BC guys there. Cause it is really, really unique. It's really cool. Definitely. And I'm sure it means a lot to the players, to the guys at Wofford, obviously now the BC guys as well. It means a lot to them to see you down there, obviously, and supporting them. Since like you said, I mean, it's a very prestigious league. The best of the best college baseball players having a chance to all perform on the same stage. Obviously, go to scouts. You have a chance to potentially make the majors by just going down there and playing in, in a game, you know, just a regular weekday. That's the, my favorite thing about the Cape League is every day of the week there's a game. You know, it's just like yep. the majors, you know, which is great. Uh, and that, that's something I look forward to every summer is going to games. Hopefully, I'll be able to make a few this summer and see, see some of the BC guys. But I looked at uh, your bio on Wofford and I saw that in 2021, you guys had 28 players that made the SoCo Academic Honor Roll. How important yeah. is it for you to emphasize schoolwork to the players? Obviously, baseball is a lot of work, just playing baseball. But how important is it to emphasize schoolwork and being a student athlete? The crazy thing is, I think it's just about recruiting the right kids. You know, it's it's just about recruiting kids who value the education. It's not necessarily about recruiting kids that have the highest SATs or the highest GPAs or taking the most amount of APs. Yeah, It's just recruiting kids and families who value the education. And I think, honestly, if if us as a coaching staff, if we do that on the front end in recruiting and we talk about the importance of academics and we emphasize the importance of academics and why you would go to BC over somewhere else, why you would go to Wofford over somewhere else, I think it's just in the water. And, you know, that's really one of the things that is kind of surprising to a lot of people is, you know, in all my time at Wofford, you know, our academic success was maybe better than our athletic success. And honestly, the only time we really ever talked about it was in recruiting. Mm -hmm. And once guys got there, they knew the expectation. They knew it was going to be a challenge. They knew they were expected to handle their business. And it was just kind of in the culture. And that seems to be the way it is here too, right? Mike mm -hmm. did such a great job of recruiting guys who fit to BC, who fit this culture, who fit this environment. And, you know, you would think at a high academic school like BC, like Wofford, you'd be having a lot of academic problems. And I'll tell you, it's the opposite. We have, we just have very, very few. And if we do have any, it's a pretty short conversation. Absolutely. Something you can work on, obviously. Uh, it's obviously a transition playing baseball in college, but also academically. Two great schools, Wofford and BC. Obviously, you got to get your schoolwork done. That's obviously most important. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's good to recruit the right kids where you don't even have to say anything most of the time because you know they're going to get their work done. And you know they're focusing on the classroom and baseball as well. Uh, so now we'll talk about your transition to BC. So after being 16 years as the head coach at Wofford, two years as the assistant coach, you spent 18 years at Wofford. What drew you to BC and how tough of it, tough of a decision was it to decide, okay, it's time to move on? Uh, that's a loaded question. Um, yeah, answer it any way you like. If you don't want to <laughs> or not, it's up to so, you. You know, the, fir the first thing that needs to be said is anytime somebody reaches out to you, and we were fortunate that, you know, with success comes attention. And so we were really fortunate, you know, my family and I were really fortunate that there were some people that reached out and, you know, had conversations with, and, you know, I will tell you 
I remember vividly, we were, it was July 4th of this year and we were over at our friend's house, you know, doing the typical July 4th thing and get a call. Hey, you know, I knew Mike was leaving. Um, you know, Mike and I have a really good friendship. Uh, you know, I knew, I knew that was happening. Uh, I want to say even by July 4th, maybe it was, had become public. My days are kind of getting twisted up. I think it was around then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I knew he was leaving and I remember my wife saying, do you, do you think BC will call? And I just said, I, I don't know. You know, I'm sure I'm like, there's a lot of great coaches in the Northeast. There's a lot of good guys on their list. That's with the facilities and everything they have. I said, you know, who knows there's, there's, that's just gotta be a long list of people who would, who would be interested in that job. And, you know, we're in South Carolina and the Northeast is a, a little bit different of an animal. So I really didn't have a lot of expectations if, if BC would call or, you know, if we called, if there would be interest. And I remember on July 4th, me getting word that, you know, we were going to, we were going to get a phone call on July 5th. And I remember walking back into the house and tell my wife, I said, Hey, we're, we're supposed to, you know, I think I'm going to talk to BC tomorrow. And she goes, okay. Like, and I go, yeah, like if, if this comes to pass, like we're, we're doing this, mm-hmm. um, just with the the academic reputation, the power of the institution. I was actually having a conversation about this with one of our committed kids. And he asked me the same question. Mm-hmm. I said, look, when, when people look at coaching jobs, I think they look at it on the field between the lines. Mm-hmm. Okay. He'd rather coach here than there because that stadium's better. That league's better you know, it probably pays more, whatever. They look at it from purely a baseball standpoint. And I will tell you, that's certainly a piece of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for us, it was, for our family, it was, it was almost the third op. It was the third thing we thought about. Number one was, is it a good institution, right? You've, you know, one thing I really learned in my 18 years at Wofford was I believed in the institution. I believed Mm -hmm. in what we stood for. I believed in the mission of the college and I believed all that. It made recruiting a lot easier and it made it more natural and it made it more, you know, just made it more, more real. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first thing was looking at a place where you could really believe in the institution. Okay. Boston college check. That's, that's easy, right? Like this is one of the most powerful and prestigious institutions in the country. The second thing is it, is it a good life for my wife and our two daughters? I mean, we have two daughters, they're, they're nine and eight, they're in second and fourth grade. And, you know, yeah, it, it's easy for me to move, right? Like I've, I've moved my whole life. That's, that's no problem. I can, you know, I feel like I can coach anywhere. Baseball is baseball. Right. Hmm. And, you know, so, okay. Does it improve the lives of my wife? And does it improve the lives of our two daughters? Well, you start looking at this area and the public education and the education that's in Massachusetts and in and around Chestnut Hill, like, okay, like, you know, my wife has a full-time job. She works for a fortune 500 company. She's really successful. Like this can't interrupt that, you know, mm-hmm. this, you know, she needs to be able to hang on to her job and, you know, being on East coast hours and that helped a ton. And so, you know, once you got through those two, you know, both of those two were slam dunks and then, you know, chance to coach in this league with these type of players, that was easy. So, you know, you look at it from SoCon to ACC or Wofford to Boston college, and you look at it on the field, but you know, that was really icing on the cake, you know, between the power of the institution and the lives that, um, you know, my wife and our girls now get by living in this area, you know, just didn't feel like it was something we could turn down and feel very, very fortunate that we were called, felt even more fortunate that we were made the offer. Mm -hmm. And to tell you the truth, I never, 
yeah, I, I wasn't sure they were going to call. I wasn't sure there was going to be interest and, you know, was pretty skeptical all the way through until, until Blake finally called me and officially made me an offer. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I understand everything you said about why you made the decision. I like that you tied it into family, which that's something Blake James said in the introductory press conference. He wanted a guy that was genuine about family, someone with a proven track record of going through challenges and prevailing, which obviously exemplified all of that in your time at Wofford. I like that you really made it a family decision because that's what Blake James is looking for. And I remember reading after the hire was made, there were a lot of great things written about you. I read probably about a dozen articles about how great the hire was, bringing you to BC. I read a lot about your time at Wofford. And I was like, oh, I think this is a great hire just because not only did you show the challenges that obviously you start at Wofford and everything that came afterwards, turning the program around, but also like everyone was just saying about you that I was reading about, great guy, you care for the players, obviously a family guy as well. It's something Blake James is looking for. So when you made that decision, Obviously, family was a big part of it, but also baseball as well. I mean, you have a chance now to coach in the Power Five and the Power Five Conference in the ACC. What has it been like your transition going to BC? Obviously, it's different weather than it is probably in South Carolina, so that's one adjustment. But how has the transition been going from Wofford to BC? Yeah, that was probably one of the things I was most nervous about was you know how how our coaching staff was going to be received by the players, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not like you're walking into a program that needed a full makeover, right? You're walking into a program that had a really good chance, you know, really good case to host and was a two seed and coming off, you know, what I consider the best season in program history. And, you know, I feel like the new guy on the block, right? You, you know, you hear these coaches, they go take over, you know, maybe they, you know, the program they take over, they unfortunately had to let the coach go. It wasn't going in the right direction. They needed to make a tough decision. And you come in and, you know, maybe the players feel like the new kids on the block, right? The coach mm -hmm. is coming in to change things, to get things going in the right direction. You know, here, I, I felt like I was secondary. You know, I felt like I was joining them. You know, mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to keep up with them and, you know, earn their trust and respect as opposed to the other way around. And that was the part I was most nervous about was, was how I was going to be received, you know, from a coaching aspect, right? Are these guys going to buy into what we're saying? Are they going to think that, you know, the success that we had at Wofford is translatable to having success at BC and, mm -hmm. you know, all of those things. And, and that was really my main objective throughout the course of the fall was to earn the players trust. That mm -hmm. was the way I, that was the way I approached it. And, you know, I feel like we're getting there. Uh, I feel like, you know, I feel like the relationships I have with the players now are significantly better than they were and deeper and more meaningful than they were in September. Mm -hmm. But that was my whole objective. My my whole objective wasn't to come in and establish myself as a head coach or establish, you know, who was in charge or anything like that. That was that was the last thing on my mind. My my main focus every single day when I drove to campus was, OK, wh what can I do today to earn their trust? Mm -hmm. And that was really, honestly, the only thing on my mind the whole fall. And there's so many things that go into that, you know, being organized, showing a knowledge of the game showing a care for the players, showing you can help them develop. There's just so many different aspects of that, but that was really my only focus the whole fall was just trying to earn their trust. Absolutely. And it seems like you did right from the jump. I remember you saying in the introductory press conference that Vince Amini said to you, he'd rather play along with the other players that all rather play at BC rather than any other institution. They'd rather die than play for any other institution. What did that mean to you when he told you that? Yeah, I just, I just think it, 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 validated what I thought about the institution, right? Like you go back to the decision that you make in terms of, okay, why do you do this? Okay. Number one reason you got to have power of the institution. And it just validated that, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mincimini saying we'd rather die than play somewhere else. Like, okay, that, that backs up what my outside perspective told me, right. Mm -hmm. That, that the perception of BC that validated my perception of BC was actually correct. Mm -hmm. And then just guys in here, you know, how, how deeply they just believe in the institution and how deeply they believe in the program. And most importantly, how deeply they believe in each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, yeah. And going through, it was, you know, you just go around and you hear guys and, you know, this day and age, you know, you you know, like you said, I was at one place for 18 years. I just figured if I ever got another job, everybody would go into the portal and I'd start over. (laughs) That was just kind of the, that was kind of the anticipation was like, okay, if I get a new job, like, there's going to be four players on the roster and yeah, just the way that's the way it goes now. And college football. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I can't even imagine what's happening right now with BC football, right. With Jeff yeah. taking the job in green Bay and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. I haven't even yeah. certainly, you know, don't have time to even look at that with our season coming up, but Two weeks away, yeah, week um, yeah. you know that, yeah, that was always the way I anticipated. I was like, yeah, I just know that if I ever take another job, you know, no players will be on the roster and we'll start from scratch mm-hmm. and, Totally opposite here. Complete Definitely. opposite. It's great. Yeah, you gained the trust right away, which is awesome. And I think one thing that helped your decision was you already had a great institution at Wofford. So being able to go from one great institution to another at BC, if you made the decision to stay at Wofford or go to BC, that's obviously great having two great options, like you said. And you're also, whether you stay at Wofford, you have a great program you already turned around. And BC is in a good position, like you said, with everything Mike Gambino did over the last few years. BC had a career season last year, very historic season uh, overall. But when you look at your transition from Wofford to BC. Now you're taking over a team that already has a lot of talent still coming back. Like you said, Cam Leary, Barry Walsh, Joey Ryan. What has it been like getting these guys ready for the season? It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, you know, going through the fall, I think it's, you know, I'm trying to earn their trust. I think they're trying to earn mine, you know, a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of a softer environment in terms of a lot more explaining, a lot more instructing as opposed to coaching and discipline and accountability and all the things that we know go into making a a championship team. Mm -hmm. Um, But really this spring, getting a chance to get those guys ready to compete and ready to face challenges and making hard decisions and, you know, putting guys to the test all of those things that's that's been a lot of fun and and watching the competitiveness and those guys come out uh has really been the most enjoyable part so like you were saying obviously building trust that's obviously a big part of you know getting the program ready for this season which obviously now we're only like 10 days away just about it's friday next friday is the first game uh so when you're getting the guys ready obviously there's a lot of gaining the trust like you said which i'm sure the trust is already built how great is it now having the opportunity to go play baseball you're practicing obviously for the last 3 4 months how great is it now just to have, to go ch- to have the chance to go compete against another program? Yeah, I think, you know, even in all my years at, at Wofford and he, and now, you know, you're building, you're building, you're building. And then at some point you're like, okay, like it's time to go compete, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's time to go get beat up. It's, it's time for it to get sketchy. It's time for it to get really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And we haven't quite gone over that yet. We haven't quite, you know, kind of crested over that peak in the roof, so to speak, but we're really close. We're really close. And the years that I've always was always really nervous is, you know, you felt like you never made it over that, right? Like, Hey, we're not ready to compete, but the calendar says so Mm -hmm. the years that you felt really comfortable were the years that you're like, yep. Like 
you know, you kind of cross that threshold before the season starts and, Mm -hmm. you know, just conversations that we had over the weekend, some conversations that we had this morning and, and where we are and decisions we're making. And you could tell this team is really close. I, I would expect by the time we get to this weekend, when we enter squad this weekend, uh, I would, I think it's going to feel a lot like in season and told our guys yesterday in the locker room, the way they have focused and competed in these inner squads uh, this last weekend in particular was, was really encouraging. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys are ready just to get out there and you guys do have a stacked schedule. Obviously the ACC, a lot of tough opponents, but you start out the season with some tough opponents you play yeah. against. Let me see. I have them listed here. A couple teams I want to mention you play against UMaine. That's your first home game, which UMaine made the tournament last season. Uh, how exciting for your first home game at BC, which last year, the student body really, really took over every single game. The stands were really packed at just about every single baseball game last year. How exciting for that home open against UMaine? I, still obviously a month or so away, but how excited are you for that game? Yeah, I'm really excited to play at home. You know, mm-hmm. this is such a great venue and it's it's just built so well for this place, right? Like it just fits, it fits Brighton, it fits Chestnut Hill, it fits the Heights, it just fits so well. And you know, we had some, you know, we had a lot of people come out this fall and watch us in our squad. And you just kind of got a taste of it, of what it could be and what it could do. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Obviously, the first five weekends are on the road. Mm-hmm. And we scheduled that game in February just in case, right? Like, hey, if we get good weather, I mean, you're looking behind me. If we have a day like today, yeah, you know, it's a brainer. We could get out there and play. And mm-hmm. yeah, this weekend's supposed to be in the 50s and, you know, could certainly do it. But I'll tell you, it's... uh yeah, I'm looking forward to playing, but I, I agree with you. Just the chance to play at home and, and play in this facility and knowing how many people are asking me when we play and how many people want to come out, it should be really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I was obviously a student there last year. I was an undergrad. Went to a lot of games over my whole time at BC, but I think last year was the most passionate the student body was about the baseball team. Definitely in my four years and maybe ever. I mean, it was just packed every single game, whether it was cold, rainy, warm, Obviously, everyone was showing up, which was great. Now I'm back for grad school, so I'll definitely be at some games. I'm excited for that UMaine game since it's going to be competitive. I mean, UMaine made the tournament last year. BC made the tournament as well. And it's early in the season, so just having any game, obviously, against a a program that already made it last year, just like BC, it's going to be very competitive. So definitely uh, going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, How different would you say is the recruiting process at BC now, which obviously you took over midway through the summer, so it's probably obviously different trying to recruit you know, midway through July than it would have been if you were still at Wofford. But how different would you say the recruiting process is between Wofford and BC? Well, I think the the pillar and core principles are the same, right? You're looking for the same type of kid, kid that believes in the education, you know, wants to challenge themselves both academically and athletically. You know, the difference for sure is, I mean, you look at, you know, if you just pull up a map and just put all the Division One programs in and around Wofford, it's much more condensed just because of the Southeast, right? <laughs> Up here, there's certainly a ton in the Northeast and in and around Boston, you know, but, you know, BC is just a lot more powerful logo in this area than Wofford was in that area. And that's really where I have so much respect for all of the players that committed to Wofford, believed in Wofford, succeeded at Wofford was because, you know, you felt like it was a little bit more of a leap of faith to join that program you know, than it is here. And I will tell you, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Recruiting here is a lot of fun. It It's really neat. Um, listening to kids talk about, 
you know, how this was, has been their dream school growing up and they always, you know, were begging for the chance to, to be recruited by BC and, you know, just seeing looks in parents' faces when you get to make that a reality. It's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. I'm sure, I'm sure it's special just making kids dreams come true to play division one baseball anywhere. I mean, that's what a lot of kids dream of just having the opportunity to play at the highest level, but giving a kid a chance to come play at BC when that was their dream school, I'm sure it's something really special and something that I'm sure you're going to be looking forward to, especially over the next few years, which jumping in midway through the summer, it's a little bit tougher, obviously, but next year you have a full year, obviously to prepare for recruiting and all that. I'm sure uh, that's something you're going to be excited for and ready for. Uh, But one thing you mentioned in your introductory conference was how one of your daughters, their first game at Wofford was against BC, the 2015 yep. season opener. How yep. special is it now? Just things tying together in going from Wofford now to BC. Oh, it's so cool, right? Like, you know, Mike and I talked about opening the season in 2015. Mm-hmm. That year they came down to be a part of like a little round robin tournament that we were hosting. And, you know, we thought it would be cool to to open up with a, mm-hmm. you know, very prestigious institution. And, you know, so we brought, brought, BC down as part of the tournament and selfishly wanted to open the year with them that year. Our daughter was born in our daughter was born the previous summer. She was born mm-hmm. June 29th of 14, right? Mm-hmm. Right after the 14 season. So her first game in the 15 season, uh, whatever day that was, you know, usually it's around Valentine's day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was against BC and just kind of really cool that full circle moment. And she's nine now. Keegan is nine. She's in fourth grade here um up here where we're living but mm-hmm. yeah for her first college baseball game to be against bc and then now us be at boston college and she's wearing bc sweatshirts to school and yeah just kind of a cool yeah yeah kind mm-hmm. of really unique kind of one of those full circle moments uh think about that more for, as a i think about that more of a dad perspective than i do as a coach perspective um and for her which was really good and then some somebody asked me what was our younger daughter's first game and I was like oh god I probably should know that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, hey, you got one yeah. of them it's tough to remember games and you played so many in your time at Wofford yeah. 455 wins which congratulations on that number one in program history it's tough to remember probably a handful of games never mind just you know the the first for your daughters which obviously is important to know that but you played so many games there I'm sure it's just kind of a blur yeah. sometimes you're playing 500 600 700 games you know at one place especially 18 years is a long time at one program. Uh, but obviously now they're going to remember their first game at BC. They wouldn't remember their own, you know, first game at Wofford, but their first right. game at BC being older now, I'm sure it's going to be something that's special. And just like you said, BC is like a family environment. And one thing you mentioned in your intro uh, press conference was the fact that you got to know Pete Frades, you got to meet him a few times. Yeah. How important is it trying to obviously live up and obviously just try to remember everything that he did for the BC program, the whole ALS community, but also – how important is it also to embrace the family? Do you know the Frady's family goes to games? Uh, the number obviously is, is is in the outfield. How important is it to obviously continue to remember his name? And also how special was it being able to know him? Yeah, it was, you know, when I first met Pete, uh, Melissa and I were here at a football game. We met him in, now that I know what it's called, we met him in the Comab garage. That was that was where we met him. And, and you know, I want to say that was we keep talking about it. My wife and I think that was 2012 when we first met. Yeah. Somewhere around Um, there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was when it was. And then got to know him. And I remember specifically saying to, to Mike and to Greg Sullivan, like he's the one, right? Like he's the one who diagnosed you would, you know, you can never tell. Mm -hmm. And then having a chance to be around him a few more times and then being around his parents, they've been good, but talk about trying to earn trust. 
right? You know, this is, you know, I mean, I'm sitting, you know, I'm sitting in his building, right? That's, and yeah. right above my screen is his jersey framed and a picture of him at Shea Field. And, you know, talk about earning trust. You know, you certainly feel like we need to earn the trust of the Frady's family and being able to uphold his legacy and speak the mission and speak what, you know, Pete Frady's was a really special person before he was diagnosed. And I think that's something that not a lot of people know, right? Pete Frady's was really highly regarded and well-known and was viewed as a very special individual before his diagnosis. And I think that's something that, you know, we've really tried to communicate with players in our program and prospective players coming into our program. But, you know, you talk about trying to earn the trust of somebody trying to earn the trust of the Frady's family is maybe at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you'll be doing just fine with that. Obviously, like you said, you're a family guy. So obviously, you know, the principles of, you know, trying to obviously always think about family first, which was a big reason you came to BC. Like you said, obviously the family aspect yeah. of going to BC. And then obviously you made a decision. They felt like it was best for your family. Pete Frady's obviously embodies everything you want, not only in a player, but a leader on and off the field. So just being able to know him is obviously very special. I'm excited to see, you know, his family at games. Uh, as always, they do go to games every single year. So I'm sure you're excited for that as well. Uh, when you look forward to the season, is there any game in particular you're looking forward to the most? Is it the first game of the season? Ohio State, you got Kansas State as well, and Cal Berkeley. You have a lot of games early on, right, against those three big schools. Is there any game in particular that stands out that you're most excited for? Or is it just opening up the season first game of the year? I'm just ready to get started. I'm just, I'm just ready to get started. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the hiring being hired here, moving here, getting settled, the girls into school, creating a routine, earning the trust of the players, you know, that's, that's all part of the process, but you only do all that. So you can go compete. Definitely. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I feel like we have, I feel like our players have done a really good job of prepping. They've done a really good job of, of trying to get ready to play. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, right. We're almost getting ready to cross that threshold of being ready to compete. And I know for me, you know, I get the question a lot as a coach, like, Hey, what do you like more practice or games? And I think most coaches say practice and mm -hmm. I could not be more opposite, man. I just, I just really, really enjoy the opportunity to compete mm -hmm. and the intensity that it brings and, the development that it brings and what it brings out in people, what it brings out in myself and, you know, your heart rate going and the adrenaline and the, you know, the sense of accomplishment when you beat somebody, it's, you just can't replace that. And mm -hmm. so for me, it's just getting this group of guys onto the field into competition mode and, and just getting that anguish and the anguish of the season and the, you know, the, the misery of the season of trying to figure out a way to score the next run or get the next guy out, you know, it's, it's an addicting feeling, which is why, you know, I think this is my 23rd year in coaching, which is why I can't imagine doing anything else. Cause I just don't know where else you would get that, get that range of emotions if you're not competing. Definitely. And you've always had a long success too. 23 years of coaching, a lot of success with those 23 years. And so now BC stepping into this season, they did lose some talent. They have a lot of talent coming back, but there is some talent that left Travis Honeyman, Joe Vitrano, Chris Flynn. They did lose some talent over the last year, but you do have guys coming back as well. Barry Walsh coming back for his grad year. How important is it to have guys come back for their grad year? I think in college sports now in general, we see guys have a grad year with, you know, the extra year of eligibility and a lot of them transfer to different schools. That's, that's kind of the norm now, it seems like in college baseball. How significant is it having guys come back 
for their grad year and staying dedicated to the BC program. Yeah, I think it just gives a layer of trust to everybody, right? It gives a layer of trust. And most importantly, and Barry's smart enough to know this and Vince's smart enough to know this, right? Mm -hmm. When they make the decision to play their fifth year at BC, the rest of those guys see that too. Definitely. Right. The rest of those guys see that. And, you know, obviously the COVID years are, you know, have pretty much vanished. And, but at the same time, I think it sets the right precedent. Hey, we could have all gone somewhere else. We could have all done something else, you know, graduate, you know, undergrad, finish your career, new coach, new staff. I mean, you talk about all the reasons to leave and you still don't. Mm -hmm. I think that just really sends the right message about when those guys commit here, they commit here for the entirety of their career. So, you know, it, it's impactful in so many ways, right? Having a guy like Barry, a guy like Vin, who can go out on the field and compete for you with all their experience and all their success. John West, same thing, right? Like could have easily gone somewhere else, could have easily been somebody else's ace. And the fact that those guys chose to be here, not only it helps us in the short terms in terms of this year, but I also think, you know, it gives the message, the right message in the long term of this is, if this is what you do, this is where you stay, this is where you finish. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's great to have those guys come back for their last year. Like you said, a guy like John West probably could have gone anywhere just because obviously the build, the fastball is great, could have been an ace anywhere. So it's obviously great seeing a guy come back, especially for his last year. They're local kids, which also helps as well. You know, being a kid from the area, BC is probably their dream school. So just being able to stay an extra year is obviously a dream come true. I mean, I went to BC undergrad. I loved it enough to go back for grad school, as you can tell. So uh, it's it's a great place to be. And that's obviously a great way to, to get kids to stay in the program. So I just have a couple last questions for you. Okay. What would you say your favorite thing is so far coaching at BC? Is it the family aspect? Obviously, the school's great. The institution's great. But what's very part of coaching it? The community, the community okay. and, and that, and that's combined, right? That's, so I look at it in, in three different facets, right? Like the, like my community is really three different pieces, right? The players, the administration, and then the community that my family's in, mm -hmm. right? All the friends that our daughters have made, the parents of those, of those friends, right? So all three aspects of my individual community, the guys I get to work with every day, the administration who is supporting our program, and then the social aspect and the people that our family has made relationships with, the the combination of those three, I don't know if any one of those three could have been better. And then you put all of those in one pot, like, yeah, just extremely, extremely fortunate to have landed where we land. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. I think you culminated everything right there in that, uh, you know, two sentences right there, but how great BC is just has the best of everything. Family aspect, obviously great institution, great baseball program, Paul five conference as well. Uh, one last question I had about the baseball team. So you had Greg Sullivan come back. He's staying on with the program. How helpful has he been in your transition from Wofford to BC? Yeah, he's been great. Greg and I have been friends for 15 years. Uh, very few people know this, but I actually hired Sully. At Wofford, he was there for six weeks. Uh, this was when Mike was at Virginia Tech, and then Mike hired him. Greg mm -hmm. was at Newberry here in the Boston area. We hired him as an assistant at Wofford, and then when Mike got the BC job, he hired him back here. So, you know, I've known Greg for 15 years, but just having the translator, right? The BC translator. Hey, mm -hmm. look, like when we go into the bubble, 
you can do it any way you want. These are the things to think about. Yeah. This, this is what we've done in the past. That's really worked. This is what we've done in the past that I think we can improve upon. Hey, when you talk to these players, okay, tell me what you're going to do with bunt defense. Okay. All right. This is what bunt defense they did last year. So just, this is, so now you know what they're used to. Now you're know to what they're used to hearing. Mm-hmm. So, okay. What you're saying is very similar. You don't have to spend a lot of time on that. What you're saying is very different. You might want to allocate more hours for that. Just things like that in terms of he's just kind of always opening the next door, right? Like the next door you're getting ready to walk through, he's getting ready to open the door and tell you what's inside. Mm-hmm. So you're not walking in blind. That's really been where it's at. And then, you know, I told Sully we had a we had a conversation maybe midway through the fall or so. And, you know, we were just kind of talking about him being on staff. And I said to him, I go, look, for me, you know, he, he, he's been here. He knows me. He knows the program. And I just said to Saul, I go, Saul, you are irreplaceable for me because you have two qualities that nobody else in the country has. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, I go, number one, you believe in me as, and you believe in me as a head coach. And number two, you have the trust of the players. There's a lot of guys out there who might believe in me as a head coach, but they don't know the players at BC. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of guys out there who, or there's only a handful of guys out there who know the players at BC, but they don't know me. Like mm-hmm. you are legitimately the only person in the country who has belief in me as a head coach and has the trust of the players to help bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect, he's irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, he knows the program. He's been through a lot of ups and downs of the program you know, the last 10 years or so, but he's been there through obviously the toughest times. And then obviously with them turning the program in the last couple of years, he's obviously been there uh, in a lot of the great, you know, parts of the last few seasons for BC. So that's obviously important to have a guy that obviously has been through challenges, just like you have at Wofford in the beginning, struggled at first as a program. Then you turn things around rather quickly. He's been through a lot of, you know, ups and downs here as well. And a lot of ups, then a lot more downs, uh, which is great to have. So you guys have similar, obviously backgrounds, coaching, going through the tougher days, obviously to get to the better days. I have one last question for you, and then I'll let you go. I'm sure you're busy, but I saw in your bio on Wofford's website that your favorite actor is Matt Damon, obviously a local guy being from Cambridge. What's your favorite Matt Damon movie? Uh, the Bourne series. Okay. The Bourne, the Bourne series. That was that was uh, where that came from. But yeah, the Bourne series was, that was always like my guilty pleasure was if I ever had a, if I ever had an off day in the winter, um, you know, definitely before kids, it was, it was much easier, but yeah, mm-hmm. if I ever had a full off day in the winter where maybe my wife was going to work and girls were at school, it was like, I just watched the Bourne series start to finish. That was, that was like my off day. That was the way I did it. So, um, but yeah, yeah. Good, good digging on your part there. I just looked up a couple of things. I was, you know, getting some things together and besides having all the stats and everything I had, I saw that list. I said, it'd be a good question. I don't know if it would be something like the departed. I mean, Matt Damon's in a lot of Boston movies, so yeah. I didn't think it would be one of those local ones, which is great, though. No, I love to hear it. And uh, maybe he'll be at a BC game. We can hope. Fingers crossed. He'll yeah, be- maybe so. That'd be awesome. But thank you so much, Todd, for taking the time. Truly is an absolute pleasure being able to talk with you. And I'm looking forward to the season and being able to see you guys play at some games. Thanks, Joe. You were amazing, man. All your research and your passion just comes through. So very, very talented at this. You don't need to give this up. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm excited for some games. And maybe I'll have you come back on during the season after a couple big wins. I'll have you come on and talk. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Todd. You take it easy now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Best of luck. Thank you.